Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oi. The boys and girls on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes the tales can get quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Craig, and Andy, Jimmy, and JC. All we know and all we talk about is booty. You're listening to Footy Prime the Broadcast, a broad perspective of all things footy. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. I guess I had a You know when you like meet up with somebody and you haven't seen them in like a thousand years? And then you you meet up with Claire, do tell. Oh, oh, you're recording now. I had coffee with Aaron McLeod and it was the most... um, delightful like three hours ever and you know when you meet up with someone you haven't seen them before and you really don't know a ton about their lives because we realized the last time I'd seen Aaron was uh, in the lead up to 2015 when I was with TSN and we went to a practice to like watch a practice and she just ran over and say, said hi, but that was literally as the last one time. does as a, at a practice. Yes. Yeah. Well, it was at the end of the practice and she ran over and said hi. And that was probably the last time I've ever actually talked to her. And I, and we realized we didn't really know much about each other's lives, but then we ended up just like, talking about soccer and stuff that wasn't really about us <laughs> which was kind of funny but anyway you just... mean just now over the course of the three hours or when you last saw her you talked about other people no when we when we no this time like over the course okay. of three hours we just end up talking about you know soccer and um world cup and all, all that kind of stuff and and i sent a message to her afterwards being like we blew by this like personal detail that you dropped but <laughs> can we go back to that now also i just want to note that a cat just walked through rian's like and she didn't even didn't even flinch just mm-hmm, this is a thing i'm gonna get used to the cat does what it wants <laughs> that's what i know about cat ownership just what it, does what it wants <laughs> one of the docs in our group um when we have our like medical staff meetings like this on zoom has a cat that purrs so loudly that she has to mute herself and then actually has to raise her voice when she unmutes herself which is pretty funny anyway (laughs) i'm out of anecdotes guys that might happen at least the cat's participating right yeah camera's on (laughs) mute button's working (laughs) no i'm glad you got to see erin i i haven't seen her in ages and uh I think it's going to be, hopefully she'll be around for uh, the the December games because it will be nice to yeah. have her in town. Yeah. Well, before we get into that, this is Footy Prime, the broadcast. 
Oh, we have got Rian here. We've got Claire here. I'm here. I'm Amy. Um, and we're talking about Claire meeting up with Erin McLeod. And I got to see her this summer, not a ton, because we were sometimes on opposite schedules working the Women's World Cup. Mm-hmm. So I had all of, I, I was hopeful for, you know, long chats and dinners and coffee and everything that you just did with her talking yeah. for three hours. But we never really got to do it. We, we saw each other and it was the most I'd seen her in years and years and years. So that was yeah. lovely. But I didn't really get the quality time with her that that I'd, I'd hoped to have. So maybe yeah. um, these games out in December and then on the West Coast um, where I'm going to see you guys, which is great. I'm so looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, maybe Erin is going to be there. Is she going to be out there? Yes. Are you guys? Uh, are you guys coming to both? Are you coming to London, Victoria too? No, not not Victoria. Just Vancouver. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having so many alumni in town. Obviously, it'll be a, an exciting, fun, sad for Sinky and her send off. But I think a lot of alumni are coming to town. So for yeah. for a lot of us, it'll be a great reunion. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I can't wait. And on that note. To everybody on the West Coast, not just BC, but who's interested in that game and giving Christine the send off that she deserves. That upper bowl was open and it's still not sold out. Yeah. So let's get BC plays sold out. So get your tickets, get out there. And also voyagers.org. They're putting something together in terms of a TIFO signs, making it kind of as as exciting um, a send off as possible in terms of the crowd involvement. So you could donate, you know, a cup of coffee, five bucks, a couple bucks, a toonie, whatever you can donate, go over there and contribute. I'm going to ask a really dumb question and I feel like I'm going to regret it. What's a TIFO? Oh, well, see, we talked about this in a pod a few, no, just last week, I think. And an Italian, Dave DeCola. Yeah, yeah, whose name, because Dan Wong called him a cool cat on one of the podcasts. So his name on Twitter now, if you go find him, is Dave DeCola, a cool cat, and apparently also a twat, because I called him a twat. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, he's Italian. So it comes from the Italian word tifosi, okay. which is um, a banner or which a sign. clarifies everything. Good to fold it. Oh, it's tifosi. banner. So it's huge banners, Claire, that they hold up. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I honestly I had no idea what it was. Okay, great. Well, now I've just been outed as not having listened regularly. And think just I think how it's dare amazing. you, Dr. Rustad? <laughs> how dare you not make time for Footy Prime? <laughs> such a such a cool initiative. It's like five bucks, and I think you know, yeah. um, really really impressed that they're they're uh, trying to do something special. And also, you know, obviously Sinclair plays for the Portland Thorns, who are well known for their incredible work with TFOs mm-hmm. as well. So it'll be nice. Uh, nice sort of joining of her worlds if we're able to get something pretty cool there for her. So go do it. Five bucks. Yeah. Worth it. Yes. And on that note, Rian talking about the Portland Thorns. So I don't know if enough people know, but you won as in your inaugural year as coach in the NWSL, you won the NWSL championship with the Portland Thorns. Mm. So I feel like you're in a pretty nice spot to, to discuss this most recent <laughs> NWSL championship. Did you guys yeah. both watch? Did you watch yeah. the game? Yeah, no. I thought it was. You didn't watch it, Claire. No, okay, I, just see yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh god. <laughs> no, no, I was. Which what day was it? There was a reason I couldn't, and I think I was working saving lives. Like it makes That's sense. right. Something important. No, I don't know what I do sometimes. I, well, but it was an exciting. You know do? do you know what I do? This is what I do. I have to wake up at one in the morning to teach young adults males how to punch things properly so that they don't break their hands 
Oh. I've had to do this on a non-zero number of times. Lead with your first two knuckles, not with the, not with the lateral two. Just break your hand. This can be a PSA from the broadcast. Young <laughs> adult males, this is how you need to punch. Keep your wrist straight so the force goes up your arm and not out the side of your bone. Jeez. Okay? Wow. That's not how my dad taught me. Oh, um, well. <laughs> my brother used to make fun of me because I used to swing at him from the side, rage-filled, with my thumb tucked. Oh, and like open fist too? Like yeah. fist slap? I learned. I learned to do better. Oh, yeah. dear. Yeah. Well, things took a turn. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Watch the game. There's my summary. Go, Ria. <laughs> I want to hear what you think about what you thought about it. Oh, I think the whole the playoffs are it was a it's it's hard. The the uh, teams that got a bye to the semifinals had three weeks off. And, you know, it's it's significant. I think mm-hmm. uh, there was only two weeks last year. But uh, there's a I think Amy and I talked before it and I said, I think it's going to be probably uh, tough for for the two teams San Diego and Portland to get through to the next round just because of you can do all you want in training and have inter-squads and and try and prepare but it's it's just different you know you get on a bit of a roll um and yeah I thought it was an exciting playoffs for for the fans of of the game I thought it was so NWSL we got everything in it so um I I enjoyed it I enjoyed all the games and back to what you're saying about the playoffs and those two teams. So one of them, San Diego Wave, they were the Supporter Shield winners, so the regular yep. season top point getters. Has the playoff format changed since, like, even since last year? I feel like was, didn't they tweak it slightly? Um, no. Well, they the season got extended because of the international break, so it definitely was an extra week off for those for those teams. So, and um, San Diego finished first, Portland finished second, so they got the buys. And it used to be that only four teams made the playoffs, but they've extended it to six, which is exciting. So, two top teams go straight to the semis, and then you've got the next four after that playing in the quarterfinals. Um, and we got great storylines out of that with LA making it the last second. And, um, I think, and even Gotham Gotham making it as the sixth seed and they make it on goal differential. It's such a tight, it was such a tight season. Like looking at the, the results at the, the last few games, every, every game being meaningful was exciting for, for the average fan, but also for, for huge supporters of their teams. You just never knew going into games, what was going to happen. And Portland was a great example of that. I, they had to, they had to come away from LA with a, with the results and they didn't, they didn't, uh, they lost, uh, they lost by a big margin. And then that's mm-hmm. what allowed San Diego to win the league. That was on the last game of the season, which is what we, so what you really want from the league, which is an exciting just never know who's going to win on any given day. And you see such huge movement with one loss or even tie. Um, so I thought it's a really, a really good year for, for the branding. And I think we saw that in their, in their history making um, broadcast deal that just broadcast uh, that they just signed. Well done, Amy. Got there before you. Yes. Well done. No, it, we, I, that's on the, on the docket here to talk about, but we'll dive into it straight away. So they go from, million a year, their current deal with CBS. And then it expands to include ESPN and CBS. And I think also prime from $1.5 million a year to $60 million a year over the course of four years. But that's $60 million 
for each of those years. So $240 million, correct my math if, if necessary, but that, I think I'm not, I'm not checking it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but that's unbelievable. And then, and not to pull away from that too much, but talking about the growth, like we see San Diego lift that pathetic supporter shield. They've also made improvements to their silverware, have they not? <laughs> I think this, that was. I think a, that's the last time they'll see them lift that pathetic plate. I didn't think it. it These women deserve could, better, do they not? These players deserve better. And it's not hard to like make a nice trophy, you know. Like it's it's not hard. Like it's just so. It, yeah, I, I'm I, not artistic. I do find it hard. I would definitely also give them a platter I found in the back storage cupboard, but uh, I thought they, <laughs> they probably could have invested in hiring. It's part of the optics, though, of the league, yeah. right? Like this this broadcast deal will allow them to to not only bolster the talent, the people who they have at their disposal, who are in charge of analyzing, commentating on these games, but the actual visual content of these games. So you're not going to get it on Twitch. You're not going to get the league broadcasting it or streaming it you're going to give them the production value in order to showcase the game properly, which is, I think, essential. But you know what? A tiny detail about like talking about trophies and silverware, that's part of the greater optics, I think, of, of women's sport and women's soccer. Yeah. Is and to- I think, oh, sorry. No, I was there. There was a pause and I wasn't sure. I think, well, I just, I think with the broadcast deal, I mean, I think that um, what it also allows is, is to showcase the professionalism that already, like we already know exists in the league, but the lay fan doesn't because they can't see it. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it doesn't seem, it just seemed like kind of like a natural progression, which was so great to, to see the investment. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it, I, I was really excited for, to really be able to, or to really to be able to see the NWSLs, like the, to really showcase that professionalism that, because um, I think like all of those tired, cliched criticisms about women's sports in general, um, and, and particularly about women's soccer, it's just, it, it, it's not a thing anymore, but a lot of people can't see it because it's not on TV. So, mm-hmm. And it's everywhere. And when it is on TV, it's on this channel or that channel and people are yeah. paying for this. And then it's on that. Like it, you need one home for it and to be able to find it. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's massive for the league. So going into this game and maybe this narrative, Claire, will allow you to, to talk about it as well, because it's not exactly about the final, but it was about Ali Krieger longtime stalwart for the U S women's national team playing for Gotham against Megan Rapinoe playing and both of them swan song their last professional games that they were going to be playing um for for rain so that was the overarching narrative going in allowed both of them to be honored properly and discussed properly the impact that they both made so maybe you guys can discuss that but also the fact that the air went out of that really early on because megan rapino three minutes in looks like she does her achilles and again maybe this we could talk about how this if sort of bleeds into what we were just talking about previously about the women's games, they're playing in San Diego at Snapdragon Stadium. And the the field itself does not look like it's in great condition. So maybe that can be something we we sort of dovetail into naturally. But maybe you guys can just talk about the legacy of, of both of those players and the and the impact they made. Well, like any big like any big finals, they're always gonna choose a narrative and it was just in front of us, right? These two um living legends of the game, whether you 
like them or dislike them, they've played a huge part in the story of the women's game and taking on that uh, mantle, I would say, from the the Michelle Akers, the Mia Hams, the, you, you know, Christine Lilly's. This was the next generation coming through these these incredible voice pieces. And um, number 13, yeah. Christine Lilly, one of my all time faves, I just had to say. Oh, me too. Yeah, pretty, pretty too. awesome. And I would say Christine Lilly's she was vocal, but she was that one that just like kind of the Ali Krieger type. And then you had, you know, Abby Wambach and, and players like that who are maybe more vocal that, that Megan Rapino sort of took over from. So they all play different roles and there's always sort of like the villain hero. Like, I think they did it so well. Both of them are, are um, incredible women who, whether I agree or don't agree with their politics, I have to say that the reason we have this broadcast deal that we're talking about are, are because of players like Megan Rapinoe, who, who say what they think and are vocal about it. And, and people love, love them when they like what they're saying and hate them when they don't. And that's a big part of the men's She's a polarizing well. figure. Absolutely. And that's what a lot of people like um, and ask for that, you know, like um, I think often women's fans can be very vocal as well. And I love that. I think that's the reason why women's soccer is where it's at is because of its fan base and because they they really believe and get behind the players. And sometimes the players go off script and then we get even more of the villain or, or we don't. It's 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 a hard line to walk. And Pino doesn't seem to really care. She's very clear on her belief system and said, and she says and does what she feels is right. And, you know, like we love that in sometimes the male sports, men's sports, and it's harder on women. But um, having her injured like that, no one wishes that on anyone, that to be the ending. And you could see I either thought it was a clean ACL or an Achilles. She looked behind her. You really want to blame the grass. Um, yeah. She's obviously heard something or felt something go like that. And um mm-hmm. She looked behind and and that's almost that devastated smile. You saw it when she missed the PK as well in the World Cup. It's this incredulity. It's this visceral that, emotional reaction, right? Can you believe this happened? And she knew straight yeah. away it was a, a serious injury. You know, the field, you blame grass, you blame synthetic turf. There's always an issue. I thought in the um, in the San Diego game, the field was much worse, that the groundspeople actually deserve a huge amount of credit for getting the field to where it was at for the finals because it looked really bad in the it, semifinals. It was over in, in green, like once you got a close-up of, of that pitch, like from yeah. far, it looked great. Nice yeah. from far, but far from nice, one of those ones. I mean, the spray paint, it, it's yeah. like, you, you know, you, you if it's always in the same location, no one loves that. But then you have to take into consideration fields that are used by multiple sports teams uh, and, until Kansas has their stadium up and running and it's just for their women's team. There's all shared stadiums. And unless you're on synthetic turf, you've always got to be aware of some of the the challenges of sharing a field. It's going to get torn up by the end of the season, especially in our climate. So um, whether it was the field, whether it was just an unlucky turn by Pino, it was a really sad way to see her go and credit to the fans for for giving her the send off she deserved um, for for a really long and storied career. Yeah, I think she talked about regretting turning down that stretcher. Once she hobbled her way across the pitch and actually Krieger came over, gave, like, gave her an embrace and a couple of words. And then she, she said, she's like, yeah, I think I should have my, my should have put my ego aside and maybe maybe hopped on because once she got off the field, she was regretting she still had uh, a far way to go there. I but know, you- but like you both played 
And do you really want that last image of you leaving the field on stretcher? So I'm sure she regretted it as in she was in pain, but she'll never regret just, just walking off the field in her own steam and like it's gone. Her Achilles is gone. It's not going to have gotten worse. (laughs) Right. No, I have no idea. Claire, you can speak to that. Well, I mean, that's that classic doing your Achilles feels like being kicked in the back of the leg. That's why most people look to see who did it. Yeah. You see, Um, like there was a basketball player recently, like you, you look back, like it's almost like a hallmark of the injury, right? Like in the, in Forrest Gump, when he's running out of the jungle, he's like, something bit me and he gets shot in the ass. Like it's it's the same kind of (laughs) of turn around in anger. They're like, did that. And then their calf muscle doesn't work anymore. Um, Right. So, yeah, and I think I always, always thought of, of, I mean, Rapino and Krieger are somewhat different, well, obviously very different personalities, but I kind of always thought of Krieger, you mentioned Christine Lilly, and my biggest memory of Christine Lilly, so I, I was like 17 when I got my first cap with the national team, so I, and I caught like the tail end of the ham Foudy um mcmillan era but christine lily kept going and my my biggest memory was how amy were you you would have been at the game in in columbus when we beat them yeah yeah so so i didn't start that game i but someone got injured and i had to go on and play and i was playing like on the right side of the midfield and all i did the entire game i did two things i chased christine lily up and down the sideline <laughs> And I don't think I even touched the ball. And then I gave Brandy Chastain stitches. But um, oh my gosh, what was, what a fucking badge of honor that is, Claire Rusta. I know, That's unbelievable. I back of my head, I gave her Wait. stitches in her eyebrow. Um, so like on a header, you guys both went up. You were trying to flick it, and she yeah, was going I forward was with to, it. She she won the header. She won the no, header. This is not important. When you retell this story in the future, do not mention that. Okay. Well, I didn't win the header. I was a little. I, and the best part was, is she she thought someone else did it and they were like yeah no that wasn't me that was her i probably um, got blamed yeah uh i think she thought christine did it actually which was kind of oh. weird, which was kind of funny but anyway so um i just i what i remember from from christine lily was this kind of like quiet incredibly high work rate and um i kind of associate that a little bit with ali krieger right like the quiet workhorse type player i mean i know she had kind of like a public profile and all of that type of stuff but on the field it was just like incredibly incredibly hardworking. i'm not saying rapino wasn't obviously she was as well but i think what i associate with rapino is is yeah more of that kind of public figure like rian was saying um where she has like i mean it's it's almost i'm you're almost envious of how um uh of how much she how do i want to phrase like how much she knows herself or how, how comfortable she feels in, yeah. in who she is and, and how she, and how she puts that forward. And, and that's, I think that's something that's really admirable. Um, and I think both of them in their own way were very fiercely protective of the game and, and really helps to sort of shape the trajectory of it over the, over time, because uh, I mean, I think Krieger was in the program or the U the national team program slightly long, like earlier than Rapino was she not? No, I'm. I don't. I don't really know. No, I'm but not. I, really but I agree with what you're saying about being fiercely I mean. protective of the game, but at the same time, moving aside the gatekeepers, yes. you know that they they yeah. towed that line very very well, where it was an inclusive environment and everybody was welcome, which is I yeah think. yeah, and it and I think that's in a large in a uh, I think that's had a um, 
a big impact in kind of how the fans approach the women's game, right? Mm -hmm. It's an inclusive environment in the stands and um, it, it much more so than I would say that it is in the men's game. Like it's Mm -hmm. a, a, I actually disagree slightly with that. Because it's true in terms of it's much more inclusive in terms of um, acceptance of people of marginalized people. Yeah. But it's not, you know, I think in the men's game, there are men that hold a diverse array of belief sets. And the women's game, it's inclusive if you fall within a certain bandwidth. <laughs> I think, that, um, you know, uh, what I have seen, and, and it's, a, it's a challenge because I fall within this as well, is I feel very inclusive until someone espouses belief sets that I disagree with completely. Um, and uh, that's where I think the women's game is is challenging. And that's where you see people like Carly Lloyd or Megan Rapinoe being really quite ostracized in certain elements um, of their of their belief sets. And when you take stances, that's always going to be what happens. Like you, you get you can get taken down. But the, the bad the bad side of it, I would say, is young, young women in the game often come to um have big challenges if let's say on on twitter social media in the past they've said things that are ignorant or are of are part of their their growth like where you're from um if you're from south of the u.s you might have different religious beliefs um that are there because of where you grew up and what you know and Mm -hmm. if those are on social media i don't think the fan base is very welcoming um to to personal growth or to allowing people to to take time to experience the world and, and maybe change their mind. I think that they're, it's you're in or you're out. And but wouldn't that be the same for anybody though? I, mean, I don't think, I think the men's game, I think there's like, imagine what the belief sets are in the locker room. Fans don't care. That's true. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I see both sides of it. Cause we are talking re and not only within yeah. teams, within different clubs, what type of culture you're creating there, but it, it's extending into the fandom. And that as yeah. inclusive as, as it is, or it seems to be that you, it, it's very, the game is very quick to vilify, right? Like a, be, a Carly yeah. Lloyd to who mm-hmm. I am not a, a fan of, but she has her own sets of beliefs, sets of beliefs and the way that she wants to, and she has an ax to grind clearly with a Megan Rapino mm-hmm. and some of the players, the core players that she sort of ended her career with, with the U S women's national team. But I do agree with what you're saying is like, depending where you're from, what your upbringing is, what your your set of values are, it doesn't excuse ignorance or, you know, nope. racist views or, or or anything like that, a pejorative views. But I agree with you that there's you're you're painted with with a, a brush and you're not allowed that growth or afforded that growth. You're immediately cast aside. I do see that in the women's game, less so for the men, because I think in the men's game, there's an acceptance of if you're a good player, we don't give a shit about the rest of it. Whereas in the women's game, there's again, Claire, to go back to your point about like the old tropes, you're still reduced sometimes to only a role model. And yeah, I have a problem nice. with that. And being nice. Yeah. Need to so nice. I, I've, I've conflated a bunch of different issues, but you, I, I think it's a, it's a really good discussion to make. And I think it's part of the growth, the women's game, has to make part of these steps for to sort of broadly and broadly in mainstream for it to be welcomed into these traditional male dominated sports. 
Yeah, and I think it it does come up in this game because of the narrative of the the you know the Ali Krieger who's sort of had what a horrible hard year she's had and what a storybook ending and then the Pino who everyone is sort of like okay she'll play the villain role and then Carly Lloyd who's commenting on the game and there's a lot of narratives around that as an owner yeah. of Gotham it was interesting <laughs> yes and also interesting that CBS <laughs> chose to not really put that forth they interviewed Eli Manning as a minority owner in Gotham and then they only added that on laterally in the bra- in the in the broadcast to say to disclose the fact that she had a stake in ownership in Gotham is very bizarre yeah and I mean Carly Lloyd I definitely definitely do not um, align with her completely but she's someone who in that's sort of, like Pino is is often loved for her outspoken viewpoints on things and then you've got Carly Lloyd who has outspoken viewpoints on things that uh, th- that are controversial in a different way and it's hard to be like well you can't just love when someone says things that align with what you think. Like, I think both of them challenge your thinking mm-hmm. in a different way. Um, and I don't completely align with Pino. I don't completely align with Lloyd. But I do. what I do think is what it's bringing the women's game to a whole new level because they say things that are hard, that are challenging. And this is the next step for the women's game is like, how do we take challenging viewpoints? We don't have to agree or disagree, but actually... I mean, you, you can, obviously, you don't have to vilify. You don't have to say, okay, well, she's out now. She's in. Or this, you know, it's it's more um, just hopefully gets people thinking and helping them form their own ideas and opinions. And what I love about the women's game is how accepting it is. I think we are leaders in this game in so many areas, um, but that is an area of growth for the women's game is how do we keep keep it an inclusive space where people can grow even after mistakes. And I I do mean like there's some young players that have come in and out of the league very quickly because they are not um, perfect. And I saw that last year when I was working there and, or two years ago now, and um, there has to be space for young people to grow in their opinions and thinking in the, in the women's game without deciding in their first few months that they're, they're not who we want and they have to leave now. I, I don't know. There's a, there's a, like an ugliness to that inclusivity that I just, it just sort of doesn't always sit well with me. Well, I think I, I really struggle with the, the, the need for um, women to be nice and smile like that. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that <laughs> the number of times I've been told I should smile on camera is, non-zero um so you've used that expression twice now and talking about i've never heard it and also about smiling and i love it yeah non-zero is it is that a doctor is that like a scientific thing yeah i don't know i'm I'm totally fucking stealing it there's all of these weird things that we say there's another one where we say like when someone says oh should i do this with this patient like oh that's not unreasonable which sounds like a really dick thing to say but it's like (laughs) the phrasing that we use all the time and when like people who aren't in in the hospital hear it they're like oh and i'm like oh that's just how we talk to each other um anyway but wait to to that there was uh i think it was two weekends ago in the prem one of the commentators on someone like elected to take a shot and it was clearly not the best decision and the commentator very dryly said that's not what was required (laughs) (laughs) and i just thought i need i'm going to use that in all facets of my life yeah and i feel like that aligns well with the two expressions that you just coined Yeah, with your kids, that is not. Yes, that's not what was required. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think I, I because I think that you get people like Carly Lloyd who, um, you know, it's one thing to be to be 
in the media context and to be critical of of a performance and critical and 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 provide sort of constructive criticism as an analyst do i think she goes about it in the best way maybe not um and i think maybe uh i think that's what rubs people the wrong way but at the same time i mean you look at look at how many domestic abusers are playing in the nfl right like people mm -hmm. who have like domestic assault records and they get media gigs and they get um, they get massive multi-million dollar contracts to continue to play in the NFL. And that just sort of, we just don't talk about it anymore. Right. And it's like, so Carly Lloyd says some mean stuff on TV and everyone's like all over her. And I think that's the, that's the thing that frustrates me is this like, well, she should be nice. And it's like, well, she could say it in a different way, absolutely. And focus more on constructive criticism than on this sort of feeling like she's got some kind of vendetta. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, why should women have to continue to say things nicely sometimes? <laughs> yeah. I think we can hold higher standards for the women's game for sure. And uh, I think that's higher standards. I agree. <laughs> absolutely hold higher standards because I also think that like when you the other thing that makes me crazy is when is when people do this. They 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 focus on the narrative of the like of pitting women against each other, right? Yeah. And and um, focusing on the the fight aspect, right? Like they don't like each other. They 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 have it out for each other. All of this stuff that just kind of perpetuates this nasty stereotype that is <laughs> nasty stereotype. I actually have a nasty woman sweatshirt. Um, <laughs> but it perpetuates a stereotype, and it 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 it's. I find that frustrating because I think it takes away from the professionalism that you're trying to cultivate in the media environment. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I think something we're going to talk about. First of all, the final was amazing. So much fun, like just yeah. so much drama. And then uh, we're talking about women who speak out. I, I, I'm sure Amy was going to get there, but I'm really, I'm really excited to hear what you guys think about Emma Hayes and uh, also a woman who isn't perfect, but is an incredible coach and what a, what a cool signing. And um, she's someone who's going to say things. She says what needs to be said. She's a wonderful manager who has great relationships with her players and how she sort of treats them differently and what they need. Um, that's not, how the U.S. soccer has has oh, built I, itself. So I'm excited. What do you guys think? I was very surprised because I I remember at the World Cup when the Americans were sort of starting to down the drain, and um, <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't see the spiral that I did. That's the audio medium, yep, spiraling um, downwards, but the other way because it was in Australia. Um, so. Anyway, so I, I remember when things were starting, you could feel the the wheels starting to come off and and everyone's like, fire the coach, fire the coach. And someone was like, yeah, they should hire her. And I was like, you can't just, you can't, I, I, I was I was like, there's no way she's going to leave Chelsea. Like, um, you can't just decide and then throw money or whatever. Like, it just felt a little bit like- But you like, can, Claire, because you're the U.S. And you have yeah. all kind, you have a shit ton of money. I know. And throw I, this team to fix it. Yeah, I know. And I, but that's that was sort of like, that's sort of how I felt as though I was like, don't just throw money at it and pick, you know, the only coach you can think of or like the best coach you can think of and assume that she's going to be like, yeah, definitely I'm going to jump on board this train. And and then I was very wrong. So here I am. Well, I think she's she's spoken recently. So it was announced, I think, last week 
that and it, it's it's interesting as well to know whether it was in her plans or in the U.S. Women's National Team or the the U.S. You you know what's their abbreviation? U.S. Soccer Federation, USSF. Oh my God. Anyway, whether they were prepared to announce. Right. But something must somebody must have gotten wind of something. So if you're Emma Hayes, mm-hmm. I think you want your inner circle to know you want the team to know your players to know you want the club to know. And then maybe that forced the U.S.'s hand in a way to announce it um, prematurely. Um, but it was interesting that that Emma Hayes, you know, everything she's accomplished at, at Chelsea, the only thing that's left really for her to win is the Champions League. So it'll be interesting because I, I was reading and hearing this parallel being drawn and um, um, Alex Ferguson talked about when he was ready to retire and and hang it up at Manchester United. He let the players know. And he said that sort of for them, it, it took it took the collective foot. Off. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary off the gas and he felt the players let off. So instead of trying to win it for him, everybody kind of relaxed a little bit and he did not like that. In retrospect, in hindsight, he liked to have the players continually on edge and that he felt got the best out of them. So now these players, the one of the arguments will be they want to do it for Emma. They want to win her the last thing that she has to kind of put in her crown before she goes over and, and start to coach um, the U.S. women's national team. But it'll be interesting to see how they respond. And we'll circle back to the group stages starting uh, today for the Women's Champions League. But I'm curious to see how she does. I think for her, for her family, for her for her young child, I think it's probably a better setup. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how she makes that jump from club football. Maybe, Rian, you can speak to this. Um, being a coach yourself from like the, the day in day out grind of club football, moving from that environment to a, to a national team setup. Not just any national team, the U S and I think that's important because they have historically led the way in how they handle and treat mothers and their children. Um, So I can only imagine the, the wonderful pay that's now being given to the coach of the women's team. I think that they have, bumped it significantly since Vladko left and because it has come out what the men's national team mm-hmm, what uh, coach makes versus making yep versus the women so I think Emma will have pushed that pushed that hard and good for her um I think that the time off between camps um allows for a different type of parenting that she's probably been needing she's an all-in I've you know she, Chelsea came to Portland last year and 
two seasons ago and it was um she she was amazing denise redding her assistant is a big part of um her staff so i just and rumored to be going with her right possibly i i I think like what's what's she going to do with Chelsea? I, so when you talk about the players letting their foot off the gas, like who's the next coach going to be? They still have to impress. So there is that uh, part to keep them to keep them going to keep them on edge. Um, I do think she's got a great relationship with majority of her players, but like any coach, there's those that don't play there. You just have to see the documentary. You cannot be loved by every player. Mm-hmm. Um, and Emma is very clear about that, and she. Not that she doesn't care. She's aware that as a head coach, you can't be loved. Um, but I do think that the U.S. job, the pay, traveling with her son and how that is accepted, allowed, enjoyed and almost embraced by the U.S. national team will be incredible. I'm sure Chelsea did a wonderful job as well, but it's every single day club coach and it's long, long days and um yeah, it's a different rhythm. Um, so when you're on, you're on. And in between camps, you're obviously doing a ton of work and you are traveling to see your players. But it is a different type of rhythm that probably is um, helpful when you're a mother and you're trying to balance things and a, and a single mother. So I think that's really important that that her her son and her parents are a big part of how how she's raising raising her her son right now. And that's it's tough. So um good for her. I think this is a really exciting move. It's not easy to transition from club to international or from international to club because of the rhythm. Um, but I trust that she'll have good people around her very quickly. That'll help support it. And she's an incredible woman. I, I just found out just preparing that she studied intelligence at university. I mean, this is not, yes, she, she did she not apply for like MI5 or something? I, I, I heard that on another yeah, podcast. I didn't so know. Did I. She's a spy. Wow, good for her if she is. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, this woman will awesome. figure it out quickly. So, yeah, I think it's a it's a cool hire. It's interesting that they, you know, Laura Harvey would be sort of similar and someone who is also British but working in the U.S. and that they went abroad because of Chelsea's results, but also abroad. Chelsea has resources <laughs> that are different <laughs> than than Reigns. So it's it's interesting that they they sort of went with the biggest name at the time, where Laura Harvey you'd argue has U.S. youth international experiences, knows the U.S. players probably better. Um, Yeah. And, you know, you'd say like Vladko kind of ruined it for Laura because he was a very successful NWSL coach and um, it didn't work out. So Laura must be in the same vein, but they just went and hired a club coach from England. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, no, either or I'm saying these are two incredible candidates that you had there as well as the other ones that were named. And it's it'd be interesting to know their rationale um, for Laura, um, for sorry, Emma over Laura, when both of them yeah. sort of have similar credentials. Question, Reed. Um, and I've, I've always sort of been interested in, in how this and um, how it works. So um, can you like elaborate a little bit on uh, on what it's like, particularly from for, for a national team coach? I mean, the club coach is a little bit. You're right, it's day to day, that type of thing. But what does that look like in between camps? Like, what what is that rhythm, and what I, I don't I, I know you're constantly working, but it's like, what are you doing in that time in between camps? I've um, and. Yeah, I just kind of want a little more detail about that, like to kind of understand a little bit more about what that looks like between like the day to day in in international game versus club. 
because you're constantly preparing, but, but uh, like you said, with the national team coach, it's like, you're not with your players necessarily between then. So, so what does that, that time look like? Yeah. So you get really into the minutiae with international coaching. Like the, the club coaching is like the rhythm is like next, 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 next. Yeah. Like you, you can't really get into the details, whereas you're expected to um, do to organize your whole staff, first of all, because you've got to keep them on the on rhythm and on schedule. So you're having pretty much daily meetings anyway with your staff, even though you're you're all sort of scattered across the world sometimes, not always in the same country. So first you're scouting your players. And by scouting, I mean, you're watching them, you're looking for new talent coming through, you're making sure that you're you're following your players. So they'll have been divided up between your staff, the technical staff. Little question, lo- how do you mm-hmm. identify players? Well, we've got our sort of long lists are depth charts where yeah. you're looking at players across the world who might have a passport that's Canadian. First of all, yeah. that's, that's changed and how you're identifying. I mean, you really, they have to be playing. That's a big one. Um, sometimes they're not. And that's always that big argument. Well, how are you picking someone who's not playing that's on name and experience and um, probably reputation? So That's gets dicey, but you're, you're watching their club games. You're giving them feedback. You're cutting your their club, as in you're you're making sure that you're coding them so that you're having one on one with the players remotely. You're looking at who's coming up, um, and you're breaking down those games. You're coming up with your game plan, and then you're breaking down your days. Like international days are from probably six, maybe five thirty, because you're getting up, you're doing a quick workout, breakfast, you're straight into your day. You're preparing for your first training session, and that you have to have a meeting before that, and then you break down the training session, and then you ranking the players. Then you have your one-on-one meetings, and you have your evening meeting. Um, there, the days go from five thirty probably till about eleven p.m. at night, and that's every single day when you're on camp. So you have to prepare for that content because you can't be producing that content while in camp, but you have to add to the content while you're in camp. Um, so all the preparation between camps is, and sometimes those are not long windows. So sometimes you're preparing for two windows ahead of time. Um, and a lot of it is looking at opposition, but then you're looking at who you want to be playing together, the partnerships. What are you trying to develop? Are you trying to look at new talent, trying to give opportunity? Are you trying to develop partnerships? Are you trying to look at units and that work? Um, you're involving your captains in meetings between camps. This is what I want us to try and cover. This is how I want the team to feel, look. Then you're producing your meeting content with that kind of culture, like how you want to bring it, the art, because you can't all be up here. You've got to bring it down and up. Um, So the rhythms are different. They're long days. You could fill up every single day with the same camp rhythm if you wanted, even when you're not in camp, because there's just so much to cover. Um, Because if you've got time, you fill it. So... That's that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. now we've got the ability to to speak by Zoom. Often you're having team meetings before you get into camp. You're sending out their pack the package on who you're going to be playing and the structures that you want to play, um, so that the players can prepare. And maybe one or two of them will watch the hard work that you've put together and sent to them. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of that's what I mean by like you can't get into crazy detail as a club coach you you, you can't because you don't have time to 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 get to, to turn it around you've got to prepare for the next opposition but you have to review the past game plus you have to connect with the players um and deliver the the daily content as in meetings and on field so you can never get into that like next layer you're actually just just going next 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 um so you've got to bring forward what you you feel you have to leave everything else behind and then move ahead move ahead 
Um, whereas international coaching, it's dissected. The last game mm-hmm. is brought right down. Like everything, everyone's performance is coded. You're watching it with your, you're taking the codes you want to watch with the players you're reviewing. So it's just, I would say detail is the biggest long winded answer. Detail. Did, is the did biggest. you enjoy well, that? Can, oh, sorry. It's okay. When, when you, oh, you go, no, we're doing it again. Amy. Uh, sorry. No, I think detail and communication. Cause I think when, I think that feels to me like the, the, piece that um, didn't always exist, say, 20 years ago, yeah. um, was how much you communicate with your players, right? Well, you couldn't. And, it's harder, too, right? Like, Yeah, but and how much you communicate roles with your players, too, right? Yeah. And what you're going into this, you're going to this World Cup, this is going to be your role in this World Cup. So that yeah. that's very clear. Um, and I don't think that's, yeah, that certainly wasn't something that really happened when I played. It was a much more macro approach i think back then because that was the only thing at the coach's disposal you were yeah. you were left very much um at the at the geez what's the word like the Mercy. whatever environment you were in for yeah. better or for worse that's what your development was hinging on and then yeah. the national team coach sort of inherited whatever environment um you became a product of and then was forced to sort of mold you into very quickly um, you know, in those limited times that we had, like back when I first started, um, it was a couple of months during the summer. That's when the national teams got together, right? So it's it's evolved for for the better, um, but I think it's a macro versus micro approach. And and Rian, when you were in with John over the summer for Nations League, mm-hmm. um, did you enjoy that immersion into you know the the detail and the exacting detail that the way that John operates? But I mean, to hear you talk about it, it's very much how internationally how you have to approach the game in terms of getting the best out of your players when they're in with you for those windows yeah like the the game has changed and the players have changed so I think Claire and you have just made great points when we played and no one wants to hear this but back in the day when we played in the day I mean they told you the lineup like right before the game no one you just got on with it like if you wanted to pull a hissy fit you just didn't come into the next camp there was no time for it you just sort of like yeah you anyway. got on with it Player expectations change. So now, if you're on the if you're on the national team and you play a club game and you're not hearing from your national team coach, you're like, are you not watching me? Are you you do not care? And now there's no excuse for not watching, and there's not enough hours in the day to make sure you watch everyone. But you're, that's why you're trying to divide all the players up between your staff. But then, as the head coach, you're reviewing their work and making sure you agree with what you know you have. And then, like, it's really really hard because you've got your roles and you want to be clear about them, but also you want these players pushing that you want them believing that they've got an opportunity right until the the very last. So you've got to try and walk that line. So I do love international coaching. I think it is interesting, but it's also the, that's where I developed as a coach is international game with, with that detail. And one of the hardest things from going from, from working, I was in England and working with GB come to, to Portland was I had all these grand ideas about um, how I was going to Because you're coming from England, I had all these grand ideas. I had all these no. grand ideas. So after every game, I would I had ind- individual meetings with players at the beginning of the year, and I got there like three things they wanted to work on. So we would use just that data. It wasn't compared to anyone else. It was just compared to themselves and their, their sort of average. And then I would write a report. And the players never read it honestly, like three people, it's, I'd spend all my off days writing these reports because I, I found writing. I blame your turn of phrase. <laughs> it probably, my cursive writing, I did it by hand. Yeah. 
and the data would scatter points. You didn't read it because you came wearing the queen's jewels to practice. Yes. I thought I would be liked That's my tiara. They were like, <laughs> I just think that. like players at, at club level aren't used, but I was used to international players who want that data. They want that feedback. And I'm like, every player would want this per game. And I'm sure they were interested in some of it, but you know, I would kill myself to, to get this feedback for them. And then I was like, Oh, is this the most valuable thing? And it was this, this is the growth of, of coaches moving from club to international. It's like, what do you have to bring? What is most effective? What's most beneficial? And then what is surplus? And what I thought was beneficial was that feedback. But I actually believe looking back, like that was surplus work for me that was not benefiting the majority of the players. It could have been better utilized that time preparing to have better one-on-ones where that's that is always the thing now with players is we didn't get enough feedback and there was an excuse back in the day with us like if Evan was giving us one-on-ones it would have been like handwritten you know sort of in the mail which is how we were invited to camps at the beginning let's be clear um and then it became emails and it, it was you're invited to camp and now you're expected to to have zoom meetings you know, within three days of the game with all the data, with where you, their growth areas are, what they did well, plus the, the actual data written out compared to themselves and someone else that they've chosen to, it, it's, it's a whole thing. And data's yeah. gotten too much. Um, but internationally, it's expected because you're not every day together. Do you guys remember the thing that Evan, the DOMP thing? Yes. And all I was like a teenager when they when he first started doing this. I was like, guys, it sounds like dump. And I could not get over oh it. Oh my Christ. I mean, we he couldn't say it during a meeting without everybody kind of you know, you know under the radar guffawing and laughing and shoulders shaking. Yeah. <laughs> he said oh, dump again. Dump. <laughs> I just remember what that. Would, what I, did it stand for? No idea because I could not get over the fact that it sounded like dump. Oh, could not. It was like Christ. Der- oh, I, I no, I don't remember. I have no idea. I just remember getting it and being like, Fuck. I don't remember Dom, but I remember Log, lack of guts play. Yes, lack of guts. Do you remember how pleased he was? That is like the light bulb going off in like a team meeting when he was like, Log. I had the record for the most logs per game, which was great. And Sinky had the record for the fastest one because she didn't slide tackle the player with the ball off kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wait two full circle kind of moments. Claire referenced that game in 2001 where we beat the U.S. for the first time. Yeah. And I can remember, I think it was, I think it might have also been Brandy Chastain because Claire, you're talking about giving her stitches. So it was off of on a a defensive corner for us and the ball went and it looked like it was just trickling out for a throw in. It would have been an offensive throw for them. And I tackled the shit out of Brandy Chastain where I got the ball and I went through her clattering. She fell over and she looked back at me like, what are you doing? Like this is going out for a throw in, but it was like, it was a fucking message. It was to say like, this is how we're going to beat you today. That was my memory from that game. Then the other thing is like Rian, you're talking about drawing these great comparisons between club football, international football. And I'd be remiss if I didn't, talk about this and ask you both your opinions. But so Emma Hayes now moves from Chelsea to U.S. Women's National Team. You have Serena Viegman. So the two biggest names, arguably, in women's soccer, women's football, coaching now national teams. So in the international game. Um, and you used a term here talking about player preparation, how, how you can be the most efficient and what is the most beneficial. So do you think the two of them 
in these roles now with U.S. and England, are they doing the most to advance the women's game where they are currently? Um, and do you think that we will see either of them or another woman make the leap? And again, the women's game is not a stepping stone simply to the men's game, but it's where it's, it's where it's most lucrative. It's where, you know, you're going to get the most notoriety, the most recognition. Do you think that you'll see the first sort of prominent women's coach make an appearance internationally at the helm? Or do you think, will it be club football? I think it'll be club and I don't think it'll be a big name. And I'm mm. as in, there's a lot there's there. I think Lydia Bedford currently is coaching in the men's game who wonderful coach as well coming through who people don't know her name. Pardon? Was she the one yet? Caretaker Bedford? manager? No, I think she's, she's being given a, a like a, a men's, a, maybe an academy team for one of the academy team at Brentford. Yeah, she's, yes, she's got like, right. uh, and th- th- the thing is, as soon as a woman gets hired for that job, it'll be uh, for sponsorship or for attention. And, and it's going to have this whole big narrative attached to it. It's just going to be tiring. So why would the top women's coaches currently that the names are known do that? I like I don't see them wanting to, to do that. Um, but I do think there are women in the game currently who we don't know their names yet who will take those jobs because it's ridiculous. It drives me wild. And I've had this conversation with a number of people. So I was working the men's camp um, just recently last summer. And it's it's amazing to me how people just think that women, our eyes move slower or like our brains don't quite get it. Like how we can't coach. So John Herdman, I have all the time in the world for John Herdman. He never played at top, top level, but he's an incredible coach. Tony Gustafson, who's the, who probably would have been the best hire, in my opinion, for the U S women. He was, he was rumored. He was in a conversation as as one of the next. He was Jill Ellis's assistant and has done an incredible job with Australia. Mm -hmm. Like these guys, they're they're just great coaches. You know, Emma Hayes, I'm not sure she played at the top. They're good coaches. How you can think like a woman wouldn't be a top coach in the men's game is is so it's just dumb. And I don't think <laughs> it's, it's obtuse, like, isn't it? Stupid. Well, I love that word. Great word. I don't see like <laughs> men can coach in the women's game. Of course they can. And the best coaches should be coaching, but right now women need promoting because there's just not been space. And they are not allowed to coach in the men's game. So we get really possessive about our positions in the women's game. We're like, this needs to go to a woman because there's no women in the men's game. There's just like a finite number of positions where the men can move freely. So it is a matter of time before people realize that there's this dearth, also a phenomenal word, of female talent <laughs> nowhere to coach. And the next great coach, by the way, and we all know it, is Carm Moscato. And why she hasn't been snapped up immediately. I mean, maybe she's up for the Chelsea job. But Carm is probably one of the best minds in the game. And if you haven't seen her commentary and breaking down games, then you're missing something. But uh, she pr- she's proven herself in Denmark. She's proven herself now um, in Mexico. And I know she's she's currently interviewing. But these are, these are names in the coaching world who, yeah, if they're given an opportunity to take a men's team, why wouldn't they? First of all, it's financially more lucrative, but also go for it. Like you don't have that sort of name like an Emma Hayes that that could be affected or, or a Serena Beekman. Of course they could coach in the men's game, but all the pressure will be on them to do something incredible straight away. And they're going to have to yes. win players and da-da. so the why last cliff phenomenon, right? That's true. But I can't like make the leap, but the risk is greater. 
And it's for yeah. sure, like guaranteed. Alex Ferguson took over a Man U and almost got fired his first season. He didn't do that well. Tony Gustafsson in Australia struggled yeah. to begin with because yeah. you've got to implement your tactics. Yep. Struggled within the World Cup. They were coming for his head after the first game. Of course they are. That's true. So it was fun. It's a, it's a no win for, for these big names in the women's game currently. Um, however, I do think that there are women already in the women in the in the game in the men's game who are just going to start um, pushing pushing the boundaries, and I mm-hmm. I look forward to watching them. I think they're they're great, and the men are ready too. Like most of yes. the men are like, well, if you know your shit, coach me. Well, like, talk about your experience, Rena. And I don't know why we don't see more. I spoke about this a couple pods ago. Sharing of resources, quite literally, in in the club game where you have a professional women's team and a professional men's game. Why is there not sort of a, a cycling, not across, so you're like upsetting what the players are doing in terms of their preparation, their stability. But if you have a, a women, a woman who's the head coach of the women's team, why is she not spending time with the with the men's team? Like and and also internationally, there should be more of what we saw with you, Rian, where John Herdman's bringing you into this camp. And talk about the reaction that you got from the players and the staff. Like, I, I can't imagine anybody batted an eye in terms of the players to see you uh, as part of that staff. No, and uh, to, to be honest, like, I wasn't coming in as, like, a first assistant. You know, I was there to support, like, um, got on. The staff was fantastic. Like, the, I, they just want you to do your work. And the men, that's what I mean. The, the simplicity of the men's game sometimes is just, like, get on with it, get your stuff done. And and if you've got something to say and you've say it and they just got on, they didn't care. Um, Robin Gale's been working with the men's team since the beginning and the players, like, I think they've, they've, they've spoken um, quite vocally about the importance um, she played in, in qualifying them to the world cup. And now she's moved to, to the MLS side, PFC. Toronto FC. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, our, our Canadian men, specifically American men, they they've grown up watching women's soccer. That's what we mean by making it visible. It's not mm-hmm. just to our young girls, it's to our young boys. And, you know, I had, I was with Alistair there. He's like, Oh, re-, like he's been a fan of Christine Sinclair. Like these guys playing for the men's national team have been fans of the women's game. They know, they knew who I was. They, they came up, said hi. And then we just got to work. It wasn't a big deal. No one said like, Oh, a woman's here. Like, what's your language? It was nothing. It was there's a professional here who's come in for the camp to support the technical staff and they got on with it. And which I thought was great. And it also gave me a real like uh, I needed to be on the field for a little bit. I'd been away from the field um, after leaving Portland. So it was really nice to just get back mm-hmm. out there. And I, I got in a scrimmage with them, you know. Um, so I showed them how to do a few things and right. yeah, right. <laughs> That's great. The, the player staff games, you got in there. I wasn't a player staff game. They just needed no? an extra body. So, Amazing. you know, I think, uh, yeah, I was just uh, playing a role. But uh, that's that's the, that's what I think people are nervous of, that a woman will will have to demonstrate for, for the men on how to do something. So, yeah, I can do it to a point. I'm not going to show them the speed I require from them, you know, and demonstrate it for them. But we've all had male coaches who have had less technical ability than us that. Or who never played. Who never How played. How many coaches did you guys have that got the role because they had been involved in coaching, perhaps their daughters or their own kids, and they just got the job because they were interested and also male? And British. Usually they had an accent. Yep. European. You're like, oh, are you European? You must be great. You're going to be our head coach. <laughs> like, oh, all right. Okay. I had a slightly different take. I, 
uh, Rian, I'm going way back here to when, when you mentioned that you think that the person, the, the woman who will kind of break that ceiling or that wall, I would say, it's not a ceiling, it's a wall. Um, but to break down that wall and shift over to the men's side would be someone who, who, who isn't a big name. I would argue that, I mean, of the female coaches out there, I would think that Emma Hayes and Serena Wiegmann would be the two most capable of, of <laughs> looking down their noses at the media when they make the like, oh, you know, aren't you excited to be the first female coach? Like those kinds of questions. They would honestly like be the two I think would be the most well-equipped to handle that and be like, is that seriously all you guys want to talk about right now? If so, then I'm, I'm we're done. Like I, I, I wonder if they would actually be two of the kind of the best personalities for that to just be like this, this cannot seriously be what the media wants to talk about and, and sort of not minimize it, but, but, but address it and move on. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think they would. Um, but why would they like, you know, I mean, oh, no, no, I agree with that too. Like, why would you, why would you go, you know, try kind of draw us that? Well, I would just, I, I kind of would. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen guys. Yep. It's interesting to see what what will happen. I think you you keep getting these broadcast deals. You keep the broadcast. you know the, the discussion going, and you keep promoting women's sport. And as Reed was saying, for not only young, what are you laughing at? You said broad. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I it's even flying under the radar for me, but um, for young boys and for and for young girls, right? And but then also for for like that that niche, or you know, like women's sport still is very niche. And women's soccer, and so you you grow that, and then you grow the space, and the discussion keeps happening, and then it's not a news story anymore. It's just just you know your your day as usual. Like whether it's a woman head coach or a, a man head coach, it makes no difference as long as they're qualified. And and that that's what I hope for because so that's, that's why I think like I think there's there's value in both of the arguments that is going to be a, a big name in terms of a woman who is going to be at the helm for, for a men's club or a men's uh, country, but also value to the argument that it's maybe going to be somebody who's not known and that it has to be maybe a push from both directions. It has to be a little bit of a wave that it's not just the lone woman. And then like the risk is, is really, really great, you know, for a lot of pressure for her to succeed that there's, you know, women in, in, in a number of positions and then people just come to accept it as just this is another person who's appointed who is going to try to bring this team success, regardless of their gender. It will be a lone woman, though, and she will fail. Yeah. Um, and so that's what we're waiting for is the first sacrificial lamb. Uh, I, I mean that with my heart breaking that that will be what it'll be someone who takes and what I will point out is the very interesting thing is the new this influx of unknown and I air quote because I have to do it once a podcast but the unknown managers that have come through in the premiership and the success of of Brighton the success of Tottenham these are these are coaches that are of course huge they've been working their craft for years and years they come into the premiership and they're and they're they're destroying it they're having such a resurgence and this is what we're I think the moment we need is you don't have to have a name yet. 
You have mm-hmm. to have a body of work that shows what you're capable of. And then you've got to have a club that believes in you and will back you. That's where Mauricio, P- Mauricio Pochettino came from. Tottenham mm-hmm. saw him and, and promoted him. And now he's one of these big known names. This is this is what's going to mm-hmm. be happening um, more and more. And we just, we do and need women. Chelsea. <laughs> well, you need women to take the step forward. But like, who's who wants that? I don't want it. I don't want that because it's going to be my family. It's going to be my name. It's going to be this this huge media circus because you dare to have the ability to coach men. Like it's a joke and we all know it's a joke, but it has to happen. And it's going to be, it's going to be really upsetting and frustrating, but it will be the first person that does it that will change the narrative forever. Um, And I wish that person luck because I don't think it'll be me. (laughs) But speaking of other names that are out there and and talented coaches, your name's right up there, Rian, Rian Wilkinson. So yeah, you could be biased there, Ames, but uh, yeah, I, I am. I acknowledge my bias, but you're fucking talented and you're going to be one day one of these women who's punching through that glass ceiling. But switching gears here and we're going to wrap up, but um, Champions League group stages starting today and we have Canadians involved. We have um, we have Benfica, we have Mimi Alidu, we have Evelyn Vienne playing for Roma. We have our three Canadians at Chelsea. Actually, maybe let's wrap up with this. Um, as I go off topic again, but what do you guys think? So now this is announced that, that Emma Hayes will be leaving Chelsea at the end of the season. Um, what does that mean for our three Canadians at Chelsea? Not much, does it? No, you don't think so. I don't, uh, I don't think Emma Hayes is the type of coach to just sort of leave with no plan in place for Chelsea. And I, it, it's not, it's not like she's going to leave and and the reins are going to come off. Right. I mean, that's, I think she has a well-established crew there. But Um, she's rumored to be leaving with her first assistant as well. So that's a pretty significant piece, right? I meant well-established like player crew. Mm -hmm. Um, But like having, yeah, I I think there's, there's a a structure and a setup there that um, wouldn't be that difficult for a new coaching staff and a new head coach to kind of come into. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it means, though, for for Sam Kerr, whose contract is up for renewal, um, mm-hmm. and then her personal life. I think recently engaged, right, to to Christy Mewis. I don't know. I think I saw. So I I wonder if this, you know, the Emma Hayes to the U.S. not involved in NWSL where she started in North America, but perhaps this is maybe a, a return to the NWSL for for Sam Kerr. Who knows? Or a Christy Mewis to the WSL. I Could mean, be. I think it's uh, it's one of the most sought after jobs, um, Chelsea. So it'll be. Um, I think the the players will will know that a, a thorough search will will now happen for for the next coach, whether that's Denise, um, her her assistant right now who takes over the reins, because there is a continuity piece there that will be interesting. How they try and follow that up, and how many people she brings over to the U.S. to be her staff, because she obviously trust some the people she works with um but i think the players will will know that they'll be they'll they'll be getting a good coach um in the coming season um when she leaves so i think they're they're settled they're they're happy there and uh, if not then then we'll see it after a year not straight away yeah, right and jesse fleming with her first goal the other day and getting more starting minutes so good to see that for for jesse fleming yeah if she doesn't continue to to start there she needs to leave and I, I love how patient she's been and working for her minutes. Um, but uh, 
this this woman has got to be playing at yep. the time of her career just for for us as fans to watch her play i just think like if she's not getting enough minutes at chelsea she she can go be a starter somewhere else and and get those critical minutes yep absolutely I agree yeah <laughs> No, I, I, it's the same. I've, I've had the same thought probably for how long has she been there now? Five years, five years, something like that. It's kind of the last couple of years where it's sort of like it, you gotta, there's gotta be a moment where you have to pick whether like, I think it's a great environment to be in. I think that's fantastic. And I thought it was the right move for her when she first went there. Um, but yeah, at some point she needs to get consistent minutes and, and, and particularly consistent starting minutes. And um, I, I agree, Rian, if, if she, if that doesn't start to happen on a more consistent basis, then she's got to find a new environment. Yep. Well, speaking of someone who's chosen the right environment and we'll wrap up with this, but Evelyn Vien, who made the move from Christianstads in Sweden to Roma has picked the perfect setup, I think to, to showcase all of her attributes a uh, team that plays a very aggressive style. I think she slots in very, very well there and great hold-up play from her. And she just continues to be a, prolif a prolific scorer. So great to see for her. And hopefully Roma has much success so that, like I said before, uh, Women's Champions League group matches, uh, match day one today, and then um, Barcelona and, and Roma and Chelsea uh, playing. No, that's today. And then match day three is uh, is the next day. But... Um, finalists Wolfsburg knocked out in qualifying, as well as Arsenal, Manchester United, and complaints about that setup in terms of the qualifications, but um, should be an exciting uh, Women's Champions League. So we'll be watching that with some interest. But thank you guys, Rian and Claire. I know you guys are super busy, but always great to chat. Awesome thank chat today. And uh, we, we could keep going, but we're not. And uh, keep broadening your horizons, and we'll, we'll chat soon. So actually, uh, we every couple of weeks that's that's the plan so every every two weeks we should be having a chat so if you guys want us to answer any questions that you may have hit us up on socials and uh yeah we'll talk soon bye bye this episode of footy prime has been brought to you by fubo tv and by tony bet make sure to subscribe to footy prime wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on twitter at footy underscore prime and on instagram at footy prime ig Oh, oh my god, Brian left. Brian's out. <laughs> Bye. And you're still recording this. Still recording. I'm about to hit stop. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.